Simply put, to forgive someone is to cancel a debt. When someone hurts you, when they wrong you, they owe you. Uh, They may simply owe you an apology. I'm so sorry. Uh, They may owe you a few promises. I swear this will never happen again. You you may even get the court involved and they might owe you some money. But when someone wrongs you, they owe you. And so to forgive them is to cancel that debt. It's to forego chasing down the apology or the promise or whatever form of restitution you are rightly owed. And instead, you look at the person who's wronged you and you say these words. And these are very difficult words to say. You say, you don't owe me anymore. It's done. There are a few things we know about forgiveness that that I want to highlight in our time together this morning. And they're obvious, but but they're worth wrestling with. And the first is that forgiveness is really, really difficult. And the reason forgiveness is so difficult is because it comes at great cost. It it comes at great cost to the person who has been wronged. because, Because in order to forgive someone, you have to let go of something that is very valuable to you. You have to let go of your right to feel wronged. You have to let go of this this very justifiable, in many cases, feeling that you have to walk around saying, I have been wronged and I am owed. And and that can become kind of like a treasure that you hold on to. And so in order to forgive, you have to let go of this precious thing. And that's so difficult to do, which is why whenever we see someone do it, we tend to marvel at it. For example... Uh, I'm sure you remember the, the shooting that happened a handful of years ago in Charlottesville. Uh, a group of people were gathered at a Bible study, and Dylan Roof came in, and despite being befriended by that group, he ended up murdering that group. Um, the daughter of one of the people who was killed, a woman named Nadine, she had the chance to stand before the killer of her mother, and she said to him, you took something precious from me, but I choose to forgive you. You don't owe me anything. And then another family member who who had lost someone in that same shooting, she stood up and she looked at Dylan Roof and she said, my heart does not have room for hatred. And so I choose to forgive. And and when you watched that, and it, it made national headlines when they stood up and they did this, but when you watch that, you see the tremendous cost that, that they, who have been wronged, are paying in letting go of their right to feel wronged and to hold it against this person for the rest of their lives. And the collective jaw of the world just drops and says, wow, forgiveness is so hard because it's so costly, and yet they were willing to pay that price. The other thing we know about forgiveness is if you're here as a follower of Jesus Christ, Forgiveness is essential. It is expected. It is something Jesus requires of us. No matter what has happened to hurt us. Jesus tells his people that if you are part of my forgiven people, that you will be You must be, you are to be 
a forgiving people. In in Matthew chapter 18, Peter, one of Jesus' most passionate and ardent disciples, he seems bent on getting some clarity on this whole forgiveness thing. And so he, he walks up to Jesus with essentially this question, how forgiving do we really have to be? Because I'm willing to forgive someone like seven times, which honestly is a lot of times. How forgiving do we really have to be? The exchange goes like this, Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 21. Peter says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some translations, depending on how you read the Greek, say 70 times seven times. Uh, Jesus may have well have quoted Buzz Lightyear in his response to Peter. How many times do I have to forgive? What does Buzz Lightyear say? To infinity and beyond. Jesus' response is, look, if you're part of my people, your forgiveness will know no ends. No matter what wrong has been given to you, you will always and endlessly pursue forgiveness with the people around you. And then to make this point, he tells this story, this now famous parable of what we call the the unmerciful servant. And, And there's really three points to this parable. The first point is to teach us just how much we've been forgiven. And then then to illustrate for us how we must, in turn, forgive others. And then to make clear to us what is at stake if we refuse to be a forgiving people. You probably remember, we just read it, that in this parable there is this this servant, this local magistrate, um, who is who's under the leadership of this king, and he, he's so mismanaged, stolen, we don't really know the context, but, but, but he owes the king, this local magistrate owes the king a lot of money. And not just a lot of money, it's, it's like a ludicrously large, laughably huge amount of money that could never possibly ever be paid back by one person in a thousand lifetimes. It's like NBA max contract money. It's, it's Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, Amazon, and the guy who owns Tesla money, like all wrapped into one, one multiplied times 10. Some scholars have tried to say that 10,000 talents is equal to like $1 trillion in today's economy. This servant is that deeply in debt, and yet he goes and he begs to the king, and the king forgives it. The king forgives it all. This is, this is what happens starting now at, at verse 24. The servant fell on his knees, imploring the king, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Now the king knows it could never ever be paid back. But he hears the servant's plea and out of pity for him, that will be important later, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. He canceled it. He said, you don't owe me anything. But then that same servant, he goes out from that forgiveness and he shakes down a colleague, another magistrate who owes him probably like $10,000. Not a small amount of money, but compared to what he's just been forgiven, it's a small amount of money. He shakes down this colleague for $10,000 and refuses to show any pity to his colleague whatsoever. And the contrast between the grace that he has received and the grace that he is refusing to extend is jaw-dropping. Now here's Jesus' point in, in this story. Jesus wants us to know that in this story, we are the servant. 
We are that very first servant who has had a ludicrously large, laughably huge, unpayable debt forgiven. And it's not a debt to a king or to some colleague or to whoever owns your student loans. It's a debt to God. It's a debt to God that you have incurred and that has increased with every stupid word you've ever used, with every time you've been short with some five-year-old that's in your life, with every dark deed that you've indulged that you've never confessed to anybody, with all the hatred you've harbored in your heart to particular people, with all the things that you've stolen, all the lies that you've told, you have incurred this deeper and deeper debt. You have this spiritual debt that is immeasurable and unpayable. It is laughably large, but... We have a merciful king, and he has forgiven that debt to you. But also, like the servant, what Jesus wants us to see is that we quickly lose sight of all that we've been forgiven of. If we are the servant, not only has our laughably large debt been paid, forgiven, forgotten by God, we quickly lose sight of how much has been written off. We quickly lose sight of how much has been forgiven. Uh, the famous Russian author, Fyodor Dostoevsky, he says that perhaps the best definition for mankind is this, the ungrateful biped, the ungrateful two-legged animal. We have this crazy ability to forget just how graced and loved by God that we have been. And that's true for me, which is why Jesus then ends this parable with this really bothersome warning. He says, if you who have received such immeasurable grace refuse to extend that grace, if you who has been forgiven this unpayable debt refuse to forgive the relatively minor debts around you, you risk being put back into your debtor's prison that you deserve. Those are harsh words from Jesus. In fact, let's read them. I mean, there's no getting around them. This is not nice, cuddly Jesus that you put on the Christmas card. This is stern warning Jesus. He says, now talking is the king. The king said, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master, the king, delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. He couldn't pay all of his debt. It was a life sentence. Now, Jesus is speaking as Jesus now to all of his followers, to you and to me. Mark these words. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's a harsh word. Now please understand what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying that your salvation and your place in the Father's family is completely contingent on how good at forgiveness you get. That's not what he's saying. We are welcomed into God's family. We are saved purely by grace through faith alone in the work of Jesus who has done everything to earn our forgiveness and make us members of his family. We are forgiven solely and completely by the work of Jesus. Jesus' point is this, that as your faith in him takes root in your heart, you will be a forgiving person. Forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people, as that takes root in your heart, what do they do? They can't help but forgive people. And Jesus is saying that, 
that if you refuse to forgive somebody else, if you refuse to offer someone else the same grace that has been given to you, you are refusing to walk and live in the grace that has been given to you. That's what Jesus is saying. And refusing to walk in and live in the grace that God has given to you is a very dangerous place to be. Now, Jesus, in this parable, he, he uses an analogy of prison to talk about the after effects of refusing to forgive. And I think it, it's a very helpful uh, analogy for us to use. So I want to press a little deeper into it. Jesus is essentially saying that when you refuse forgiveness, you are locking yourself up in prison. And you are, you are cornering yourself off from the life that God has actually wanted you to live. The reason he saved you is to be free from the prison of unforgiveness. But when you refuse to forgive someone else, you are locking yourself up first and really foremost in a spiritual prison of sorts. I mean, Jesus, Jesus pulls no punches. He says... If you refuse to forgive other people, you are risking eternal punishment. That's basically what Jesus says. It puts you at odds with God. And it means you are walking out of step with the very grace that he has shown to you. And that's a dangerous place to be. You risk spiritual imprisonment. But to refuse to forgive also puts you in like this relational prison. And I know that you've felt this. Someone in your life has wronged you in either a big way or a small way. And because you've not forgiven them and you've never dealt with it with them, it's like this cloud that hangs over your relationship. And the two of you could just be together for the 4th of July talking about kids and sparklers and hot dogs, but you feel it. It hangs over you. It it shapes the entire dynamic and everybody else feels it too. And the relationship is not what it could be because you've not forgiven them and you've not dealt with this issue. It puts you in a relational prison. It kind of holds the whole relationship Captive. That's what it does. But there's also like this psychological prison that unforgiveness puts you in. Have you ever been so mad at someone that when you think about them or see them, the only thing you can think of is what they did to you? It consumes your heart and your mind. It puts a dark cloud over everything. And what you realize is that when you refuse to forgive someone, you are choosing to to dedicate a, a portion of your heart and your mind to recounting the wrongs and measuring the debt. It's a psychological prison of sorts. Now, I don't want to downplay at all what what someone else did to you in your life. Some some of you have been sinned against and hurt in almost unspeakable ways. I don't want to minimize that at all. What they did to you was horrible, and God will deal with that. God, in his mercy and justice and goodness, he will deal with what they did to you. But here's what you need to understand, and this is part of the point of Jesus' parable. If you refuse to forgive, the only person that is guaranteed to get punished is not the perpetrator. The only person who is guaranteed punishment if you refuse to forgive is who? You. You you put yourself at risk of spiritual, relational, and psychological prison. And Jesus is saying this, you who belong to me, you who have been forgiven, you have been set free from the prison of unforgiveness. You have been set free. Do not, my friends, lock yourself back up by refusing to cancel The debts of others. Forgive your brother, your sister from your heart. Now you might be thinking, great, I will do that. 
How do, how do I do that? Well, I, I will preface it by saying it is not at all easy. It's a lifelong process. But again, from the parable, I think we can surmise a handful of things. Forgiving someone from the heart as you have been forgiven. First, and I mentioned it already, it means absorbing the cost, embracing the cost of forgiveness. Here's the thing about debts. Here's how the real world works. Debts never just disappear. Somebody always pays for them. When we're talking about sin, it's either the person who's been wronged, they either absorb the cost, or the person who's done the horrible deed, it is exacted and extracted from them. Who paid the cost of the servant's debt? The king. The king absorbed the trillion dollar cost. It came at his expense. So, so here's how it works with when forgiveness happens. If you're going to forgive someone, you are embracing the cost to forgive them. You, you are embracing the fact that you have wounds that you will carry with you forever. You are embracing the fact that even if they wanted to repay you and erase it, they could never pay enough or make it go away completely. You are letting go of the justifiable right that you feel to to remind them of everything that they did, to curse them in your mind, and to color everybody else's view of this person. You're letting go of that. You're releasing retribution to the Lord, and you're saying, that is costly to me, but I am embracing that cost. You're absorbing it rather than exacting it from them. That's the first piece. The second thing that we do is that we choose to see their humanity. And, and this ain't easy. But, but we choose to see that the person who hurt us is a sinful, broken person in need of mercy just like us. In the parable, it says that the king was able to have mercy on the servant because he took pity on the servant. The Greek word there means deep, personal compassion. There was this famous study done years ago about anger that leads to bitterness. And what the researchers found, what the psychologists noted, is that in people who have become entrenched in bitterness, they have the same habit. And the habit is this. They make a characterization, a caricature of the person who wronged them, and they focus on that caricature of the person rather than the reality of the person, which allows them to stay angry and become bitter about the person. You ever had a caricature drawn of you at like the county fair? They're never beautiful, are they? What they do is they take the, the, the characteristics that you hate about you and they exaggerate them and they draw this funny picture of you and then you show it to other people and they're like, that looks just like you. <laughs> and, and the same thing happens with people who've wronged us. We, we take the thing that they did to us, we take the worst attribute about them that made them do that thing and then we overinflate it And then whenever we look at them, it's all that we see, which then allows us to feel continually justified in our hatred of them and our desire to exact something from them and to feel wronged by them. So for example, somebody in your life lies about you and they shouldn't have done it. It was horrible. They said some horrible things. And the next time their name comes up, you say this, oh, Ryan, Ryan's a liar. Well, Ryan is a lot of things, but you focus on the one thing that he did to you. And, and when it comes to the things that you've done wrong, you want everyone to measure you by your intentions and the context of your entire life. But when it comes to the person who did you wrong, you want to see only the thing that they did wrong to you and view them precisely and solely through that lens. That's how you stay entrenched in bitterness. You dehumanize them. 
But Jesus calls us to see the humanity in them, and that is hard. And then the last thing you do is you confess your own sins. You confess your sinfulness to the people around you who share your faith. You confess your sins privately in prayer. You come to church each week and you confess your sins and you hear that you are forgiven. And you let your heart be continually melted by the truth that what Jesus demands of you, he's already offered to you over and over and over and over again. You let your heart be melted by the fact that Jesus is the king who has canceled your debt. All of it. At great cost to himself, he's absorbed the cost, the cost of his kingdom, the cost of his own life. And he did it because he had empathy for you. He took pity on you. You are pitiable. And Jesus took pity on you and he entered this world and he lived our pitiful existence and he felt our pitiful pains and he died our lonely, pitiful death. And he rose from it and he declares us free from it. And he did all of that to you, for you. Lift your eyes from the puddle of pain that someone has caused you and set your gaze on the sea of your own sin that Jesus Christ has absorbed for you. Confess your own sins. Confess your own sins. Feed off of the mountain of mercy that Jesus gives to you. Confess your own sins, and then I dare you, I dare you try to feel justified in harboring hatred and refusing to forgive somebody else. It is, it is not possible. Embrace the cost. Refuse to retaliate. See their humanity. Confess your own sins. Forgive from the heart. Now, I will add on this that this is not an easy thing to do. This is not a choice you make one day, like a switch you flip and go, oh, I've forgiven them, time to move on. No, forgiveness is not a switch that you flip. It is a road that you walk down your entire life. It is a road that you walk down your entire life, and some days the road is easy, but most days, quite honestly, it is an uphill battle. Martin Luther King Jr. put it like this. He said, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a permanent attitude. It is a desperate choosing each and every day not to retaliate, to embrace the cost, to see their humanity, and to confess your own sins. But, but embracing that, but embracing that, though it is hard to live, it will lead to a life well lived. Friends, when you choose to forgive from the heart, what you discover, what you discover is that there's far more joy and peace there's far more joy and peace when you understand that the forgiveness of God was not given to you to be a decoration around your own neck. The forgiveness of God was not meant to be worn as a decoration like a party hat. It was meant, it was meant to be used like a tool and shared as a gift to other people who don't deserve it, but who desperately need it. And likewise, I will say this, and this is important, that, that forgiveness and reconciliation are two very different things. In a perfect world, they can always go hand in hand. You can forgive the person, you don't owe me, and be reconciled. We're back in relationship. But only God can be forgiving of everyone and reconciled to everyone. That can't be expected of all of us. 
You can forgive someone in your heart over and over and over again and say, you don't owe me anymore, but because of their unhealth or yours, you may have to say, I can't be reconciled to you. Not because I don't forgive you, but because I love you and love myself, and it's bad for us to be like this. (laughs) You can be a forgiving person and draw new boundaries. In fact, very often you have to. That's okay. Forgive from the heart. I'll end with a silly and seemingly unrelated anecdote. Last month, uh, my family and I were super blessed. We were able to spend two weeks in the Rocky Mountains. We got to go hiking and fishing, and we saw all the animals on our checklist. We saw black bears, we saw bull moose, we saw a ton of elk, uh, we saw wild turkeys crossing our path, and more than anything, we saw chipmunks. Chipmunks like you wouldn't believe. And they were doing what chipmunks do, which is gather up nuts and acorns like crazy, right? And, and because I'm strange, I, I discovered this the other day, that there was, a, there was a study done at the University of Richmond about the American chipmunk and the American squirrel and about their, their hunting-gathering habits. And this, this, this study said that the average American chipmunk loses, loses track of or forgets where they put 74% of their nuts. That's just nuts. <laughs> they spend their entire life doing this. They're all about it. Almost all of their tiny little brain is devoted to finding acorns, hiding acorns, so they can live off of acorns, and yet they lose track of three quarters of their acorns. That's insane to me. Here's where I'm going. You and I, we are no better than chipmunks. We don't forget acorns. We forget mountains of mercy. Oceans of grace. We remember just an ounce of what we received. We are in a series called No Winners Allowed because in this series we're studying the parables of Jesus. And you know what Jesus teaches in each and every parable? But the worst of us is no worse than the best of us. That we are all in desperate need of mercy and grace. That you are no better than the one who wronged you, as difficult as that is to hear. And we are all recipients through Jesus Christ of mountains of mercy. Remember that. Forgiveness is not easy. But you, ask me the question, Matt, how forgiving should I be? And I'll answer you with a question. How forgiven have you been? There's your answer. You as a member of God's family have been given mountains of grace. You have been set free from the prison Your own debtor's prison, don't be so foolish as to lock yourself back up by refusing to walk that road of forgiveness with somebody else. Forgive from the heart. Amen.